Geology, geology, geology. Welcome to Mini Geology, where we put in connection geology with society at large. I am Daniel Minizini, your inquisitive geologist, volunteering for the Houston Community Station, KPFT FM, and FM and HD1. And uh, today we have with us uh, Mark, Mark Little. And uh, I, I brought in here Mark Little because, you know, geologists, they can become economic developers. And I'm not referring to geologists that are part of a large company, which obviously develops the economy. I'm referring to the bright minds of earth scientists that invent and uh, realize new ways to develop a specific facet of the economy. That's the reason why today we have with us Mark Little, who is the executive director of CREATE an initiative that builds uh, shared prosperity through applied interventions, research, and policy. So Mark has a PhD in geology and geophysics, and therefore he belongs to the family, the great geological community family. However, now uh, Mark works at the intersection of academics, policy, and private sector businesses. So he chose to move to this area to lead initiatives that generate new knowledge, improve lives, and yes, create economic opportunity. So today let's try to gain some of this knowledge on how exciting and how difficult it has to be to live and work in this intersection of academics, policy, and business. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Mini Geology, Mark. Thank you for having me. Uh, excited to have a conversation. Mark, in your Twitter, you present yourself as Atlantic African, musician, composer, earth scientist, economic developer, black community founder, writer, Baba. <laughs> what do you feel today? Oh, I'm all those things all the time. So, Mark... It is so beautiful to have a multifaceted uh, earth scientist, a multifaceted person, an eclectic person with us in here, that part of it belongs to the uh, geological community. I would like to uh, walk with you through the changes in your brain and try to understand what change in your mind when you decide to move away from the technicalities of geology and geophysics and move to this intersection of academics, policy, and business. Yeah. So there's, there's two ways you can do this. One is if I'm in a job interview, I make it sound very planned. And I did this because it would build this skill and, and all that. But the reality of it is there wasn't there, uh, personally a grand plan. Uh, so to answer your specific question, how I made this transition, actually, when I before I went back to grad school, I was it wasn't something I was destined to do. I should say that to go back to grad school for, for geology and geophysics. Um, and so when I did, I actually was very interested in using that degree, using that knowledge to have some policy impact. Uh, and so actually one of the reasons that I chose to come to Rice University was because of the opportunity to 
work with policy and policymakers while I was in grad school doing geology and geophysics. Um, so I, so it's, it's always been there. It's always been part of the plan, part of my interest. I see. Is this the, the sincere answer or this is the answer you would give to a potential employer? I mean, so, I mean, in, it's, it's a, it's a, the sincere answer is that I, I always have that interest. In terms of my job progressing, like actual, I mean, the reality there is it's all been fortuitous, I'll say, for, for myself. I have had the opportunity to give advice to a lot of students, all, really all along the way, ever since in high school, you know, men mentoring other students. And I'm always impressed with people who have options, right? Because they have, you know, they apply for multiple jobs and they say, oh, should I go work for this company? At every juncture in my life, I usually have not had many options. And now I'll say the option that I've taken has been a wonderful option. Um, but uh, when I started doing this work in economic development, um, actually I had just started um, working with an a startup company it was actually energy related startup. And I started working at UNC Chapel Hill where I am currently just because I was in Chapel Hill and I needed some part-time work <laughs> while I was working on this startup with a friend. And I kind of fell into it. Right. And I had those in the interest in policy, um, the interest in economic development, broadly sustainable development, um, the interest in actually working in, communities where my family and uh, is from. Those are all things that I, I was aware of, wanted to do in some kind of sense, but it was not any kind of career plan. And so I really fell into that. And so when the startup didn't start up, um, that work grew and grew into, you know, over time into what it's become today. Mark, I read that CREATE is an economic development center which is tackling this um, increasing uh, income disparities in the middle class. And uh, CREATE, by the way, is CREATE an acronym? It is not. Okay. So CREATE, uh, mm -hmm. tackle uh, this uh, increasing income disparities by generating shared economic prosperity through a combination of, of research, data analytics, homegrown interventions, in policy development. Hmm. So what do you need to move from a technical work on, on earth science or engineer or, or just think about a medical doctor? What do you need to move from that technical work to this other work on creating economic prosperity that you do in uh, CREATE? And maybe, let me back up a little bit to something that you hinted at which is that you kind of, you made a, a juxtaposition between the earth sciences and the work that I'm doing now. Um, but I'll say just like the earth sciences as a discipline is very interdisciplinary itself. Uh, the earth sciences requires someone to at least gain some understanding, if not fluency in many different tools, math, physics, chemistry, uh, even biology, in addition to basic geology tenets and understanding. And so I think that itself was one of the reasons why I was interested in earth sciences, just as myself, because I am interested in lots of different things. And so 
to answer your question, one of the most useful things that people can have, I think, when transitioning to any different kind of job uh, is really try to articulate the skills that they have and that they've learned and translate those skills into a new environment. And so if you have worked in a lab, attention to detail, the understanding that small error measurement errors will mean that the results of your test are completely useless, right? What does that mean when you're talking about making a presentation to community members? Let's say, for example, in some of the work I do, we might be um, organizing a, a community meeting in a rural community in Eastern North Carolina. What does it mean? How is, where's the translation there? And the translation in my mind is, okay, I need to be very careful, right? And so it's not about an aliquot of something or a gram of something, it's my words. And so I need to be very careful with what I say, how I speak, because an error in this presentation can mean that whatever work we try to do um, can be ruined, right? And so um, one of the things that I really try to do is understand all the little nuggets of knowledge and information that I may have come in contact with, I may have observed in other people, and then stay like, well, what's, what's the usefulness of that in some new situation that may on a surface look completely different, but there's some knowledge understanding from that that can come to bear. I, I will also say that the bulk of my work now is not earth science, um, but it does come in actually, you know, in terms of the knowledge itself, it, it does occasionally come in and uh, more broadly, issues around energy and environment absolutely come into the work fairly regularly. And so in that way, um, there have been actually been some, you know, fairly direct connections, at least understanding the body of work broadly around earth sciences uh, and the environmental sciences that has been really helpful to the, the work on the ground that we do now. So if I understand well, Mark, there are still some little overlap on uh, geosciences with what with your work but the most important thing is the uh, methodological overlap so what you're suggesting is that if an engineer or a doctor or a geologist want to move into this other area where you intersect these three worlds of policy making academy and industry the most important thing is to be ready to know your skills and how to transport them. And do you, in a way, you enlist those skills uh, of the geoscientists that are the rigor, the attention to, to the detail, uh, maybe the multiple scales that they are capable to work on, the multiple methods. You work in the field, in the lab, uh, with workstation, with uh, uh, offshore, in the outcrops then you have this uh, integration of different disciplines, as you mentioned, and then maybe also that kind of mindset to uh, start with a local data set and from those local data, try to create a global idea, or mm -hmm. is that correct? It is, it is. And I, you know, I, I also think that there are, whatever, in, talk about different disciplines, you mentioned you know, earth sciences and engineering, I think that there are intrinsic differences to some of these disciplines in terms of this 
the philosophical way that they approach knowledge, knowledge creation and knowledge use that are, are very different. Um, and so with earth science is one of the things that was very attractive to me about it versus some other disciplines is the opportunity to think very big with very small amounts of information. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that. And I think that it, that is something that's unusual. So being both able to do very small scale granular work in the lab or on your computer, um, but then also to scale that and try at least ask questions on this, the grandest of scales is, is great. And I also, I'm also very attracted to physics. And so actually before in undergrad, before switching to earth sciences, that was a physics major first, astrophysics. And so these kind of big questions based on small amounts of information and math are very interesting to me. And so again, for me personally, in the work that I'm doing now, kind of what that means is a lot of the communities that we're working in have been struggling economically for a very long time. And much of the work that we do, you talked about these three areas, kind of on the ground interventions, policy work and, and research. Pretty much all of those are, I mean, they're very based in reality and very dependent on the past to understand kind of what's possible. Um, but I think one of the reasons why I do some of this work well is because I'm not so immersed intellectually in that. And I can sort of step back and say, well, there are other things that are possible, right? And pulling in examples from other sides of the planet, right? Because I mean, you're, we talked earlier and you mentioned you were from Italy. Many people who are from a place and grew up in that place and stay in a place uh, have difficulty seeing perspectives from other geographies, right? And so for example, like you, you know, you've, you've traveled somewhere else. And so you bring that other perspective with you. And so it's not only that you have these two perspectives, you actually in that transition is just, it's opened your mind to just think, well, maybe the things that I knew before that don't matter, right? Um, and I think there's a little bit of that kind of thinking that's important to the earth sciences, to making new transitions and understandings about knowledge. And it's a way of thinking that I brought with me uh, into the work that I do in economic development to try to say like, just because this is what's been happening it's not, let's look on the other side of the planet, some other place that has all the tools that you have, maybe has a similar history, but now is doing something different, right? They may look different and they speak a different language, but like what, and again, it's not the same. I understand all that, right? But let's think about what are those connections. Let's just be inspired and, and try to learn something from that. Yes, I, if I can say something personally, I mm. agree and see what you see uh, when you look at the past, because obviously the, the past and history is a great enrichment for humankind, but it could be a heavy lift that you drag behind you. So coming from Italy, uh, with respect to the new world, we have, I experience that uh, nice, heavy weight that we have to drag ourselves on and uh, the uh, culture that we call it culture that in sometimes it becomes an obstacle for innovation. So I, I understand that, especially now uh, after living 10 years here in the US in, in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but let me be the um, devil's advocate in here. 
isn't it better to allow the economists to create economic prosperity? Well, so that, that's, I don't, you know, I don't think economists would actually claim that that's their responsibility. Um, I've gotten to know quite a few of them. Uh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. So I think, I think really what you're asking is, why do I think I have anything useful to, to do in this space? Maybe it's kind of one way of framing it. And all, and, people, and all people like you and all the yeah. potential people that will be in your position in the future. Okay, so that one, one answer is problems that we're trying to solve, the challenges we're trying to overcome have not yet been. And another one is the way that we work and the places that we work in are, are not really the focus for, let's say for economists, since you mentioned them in particular, economists are very, generally are interested in country scale, maybe state scale issues and those averages. Uh, and of course, you know, to your point about increasing disparities, those are very, those are observable completely on those scales. Um, however, the places that we're working in in particular are not the prioritized way or method to, to approach and answer these questions. Also, many of the people that we work, I work alongside um, aren't economists also. Um, so you mentioned this intersection between sort of, uh, uh, policy and, and uh, business. Many of the business leaders uh, that, that we work with are not economists. Right? They're actors in this, these systems that we have. So I think on the piece of not being a, an economist, that, for the type of work that we do, that's, I don't, that's not really required. I think that what draws me to this work and I think what's allowed me to be, contribute um, is actually being pretty open-minded and coming in with an interest in learning and an interest in identifying new different ways to have an impact. And while someone who has a more traditional background, I'm not saying they couldn't do those things, I think that I may have been actually better suited because I was so, I was so ignorant at the beginning of my work, really, about uh, the process. And um, I think doing a PhD in particular is really about that. Uh, I remember my advisor at some point saying, you know, once you go through this process, what it means is, yes, you have some particular knowledge about this topic that you did your dissertation on, but what it really, the, what it really means is you know how to learn. And any topic that's out there, if you're interested, you now have the skills to ask questions, to an find answers to those questions, which of course then lead to more questions, and et cetera. So, yeah. So I, 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 um, I, it's not a question I personally think that much about. Um, I know for a lot of people, it is a big question and it can be daunting and it can cause um, a lot of self-doubt about whether you know, you're capable, et cetera. Um, but as I was mentioning, I talked to a lot of students, also just talked to a lot of friends about career and things like that. And they, what I always say is like, don't deny yourself the opportunity to, to do something, right? Um, before you've even, you know, presented it to somebody um, in, in kind of the con in the context of, let's say, like a job application. What that means is don't stop yourself from applying for something because you think you won't get it. Right. Apply for it. Work to get it and then hopefully get an offer and then you can decide. Right. I mean, it's 
And I mean, obviously there's a lot of work that comes with that. You have to do that to make sure you're prepared, et cetera, et cetera. But a big, huge part of it is the mindset. Um, and, I, and I think for a lot of us, uh, it's that mindset that is the hardest thing to change. Let's dive now that you mention it into your mindset. How, uh, who, who or, or what influenced the way in which you view life and, and its meaning? Why are you doing this? Well, that's a, that's a big question. Um, I, 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 the way that I'll answer it is um, kind of how I've grown along the way. I'm, I'm not somebody who has like, there was this one person at a particular time that, you know, made me something. It's really just listening and being open-minded all along the way. And so um, obviously my parents uh, and, and then not in a direct way, but just how they raised me. Um, and I think also observing people um, and uh, oftentimes sort of seeing the potential in people and in places that maybe they themselves don't realize. Um, and um, that, that kind of connects to some of the work that I do now, which really one way that I sort of think about it is helping people and places realize their you know, fullest potential, at least some, you know, a little further along than, than they may be. But in terms of the earth science side of things, um, it's funny, you know, how I, I got into it in the undergrad um, was I had a, I think, a, I'll say a very ignorant uh, assumption that if I'm going to go to college, then I should major in, in science um, because, you know, if, if you're not going to major in science, then why go to college? <laughs> um, so, so that was my first kind of filter. And um, after that, it really was just looking through the, the, the course guide and identifying which classes looked interesting and they were in the earth sciences. Um, and, but, you know, later on, really thinking about long-term trajectory, um, my PhD advisor had a, a significant impact on, one, my decision actually to, to go to graduate school, um, but how to think broadly um, about the earth sciences and to see the connections between different interests that you might have that may not be readily apparent. And, you know, so I was fortunate to have a, an advisor who was a great scientist, um, but also is really great at other things too. And structured his life around those things in a way that they benefited and supported each other. Um, and, you know, one, I'll just kind of fast forward to one example of this that I, I use sometimes when I'm discussing my economic development work in different contexts. So uh, I mentioned that we work on the ground in communities uh, um, that are economically distressed. And that's a lot of our work, you know, to work, like I said, directly, right, providing direct technical assistance. Um, and we work with a wide, very broad range of people from all sorts of backgrounds. But we do have a significant amount of work that is with with black folks and, and, and historically black communities. And one of the ways that I talk about the deep history of that is actually to use earth sciences a little bit. And so um, there's a, 
a region, you know, region in the Southeast, uh, the folks called the Black Belt, which is, you take a map of the United States uh, by county, so county level, and you look at which of the counties that have the highest percentage of African-American population. What you'll see that gets bright on that map is a kind of U-shaped region that starts in southeastern Virginia, goes through eastern North Carolina, down through South Carolina, across Alabama, Mississippi, sorry, through Georgia, across Alabama, Mississippi, it's the Mississippi River, then goes up the Mississippi River um, into western uh, Tennessee, eastern Arkansas. This is also a region that has really good soils um, for agriculture. Uh, and this is the region that had the highest number of African slaves that were enslaved Africans that were brought to the United States. And so there's this connection between land um, and people and history, but also economic development, right? Because these are places that were founded on, their economies were founded on free labor. Uh, and now um, they're still struggling economically because of that history and because of racism. And it's connected, those, the reason they're in those places is connected to the earth, right? And so um, anyway, so just to give you an example of sort of how these connections sort of come together. And I'll just say again, where some of that comes from is, uh, like I said, my PhD advisor, but how, where are these connections between different things that on the surface may seem disconnected, but actually are fundamentally linked together. Mark, you make me think that I want to come and work with you. What's, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, really, I have goosebumps listening to you and the simple explanation of what you do and just connecting uh, history, people, and the planet. Um, really, I really think that many of us Uh, we could add a lot of value into, into these connections. And talking about history, do you mind if I ask you about your parents? You mentioned them. Who, what kind of people are your parents? What, what did they teach you? Hmm. Well, so what kind of people are they? <laughs> um, Uh, well, I like them a lot. <laughs> so I think they're great people. Um, I'll, maybe I'll answer this two ways. So one is kind of the historical perspective, right? So my parents are from both from the same uh, small town in eastern North Carolina. Um, their parents are from eastern North Carolina and, and South Carolina. Um, and so my parents and our families have deep roots in the sort of the Carolinas. Um, some of our ancestors were enslaved Africans, most of them. Some of our ancestors were Native American and some of our ancestors were from Europe. Um, I identify as, as African-American or black or Atlantic African, you know, as you, as you mentioned from my Twitter account. Um, but I have members of my family who also identify as, as indigenous or Native American as well. Um, so deep, deep roots in a particular place tied to these histories that that we were talking about. Um, so that's, you know, that's one person, that's, you know, my, my parents, you know, in that, in that perspective. As individual people, um, they are very different from each other in terms of their personalities. Um, you mentioned what did I learn from them? Something that's, that I 
noticed that is maybe different, at least in my family forum, some that people talk about is a lot of times people talk about, well, there's this particular lesson, like a verbally spoken lesson that their parents told them. And there's some, there's some of that with my parents, but that really wasn't um, a big way in, in how they raised me. It was more of creating a space and an environment and living in a particular way that I wanted to emulate or I learned from. Um, and so whether it was things like, you know, composting, right? I mean, composting is sort of a thing now because it's, you know, it has a, a veneer of, of hipness and coolness perhaps, in addition to actually having some benefit for, potentially benefit for our, our, our planet. Um, but that's something that my parents, particularly my father always did when I was little, we had a garden um, that just was because you, you just what you're supposed to do. Like, why, why would you put these things in the trash when you can create soil to grow fruit with? Um, and so it wasn't, a, it wasn't a verbal lesson. It wasn't like, Mark, I want to tell you something. You should always try to recycle. It's just, we just did it, right? And, he's, and so that has, that, those types of lessons um, were very important to me in terms of what I do, how I interact with people. Um, and those are definitely things that were created by my parents in the, in the house that I, that I grew up in. So maybe I have three kids. Sometimes I, I, I think about uh, how to teach them. And uh, maybe you're right, like being a role model instead of teaching verbally is way more powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it does depend on the person. I mean, I, I, have, I have three kids also, and they're all very different from each other. So I, I, I you know, hopefully one of them pays attention to something I say verbally, but it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't seem like any of them do. <laughs> Or just try to have more kids, so statistically. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about a create. Uh, mm -hmm. So as we said, create tackles these uh, income disparities in, in the middle class by generating share economic prosperity. And um, I see that in create, uh, this, um, uh, you have an online platform that tells the stories of small towns that have successfully stimulated these private investments and job creations. And that is useful because uh, these stories inspire other small towns across the nation to leverage their, their assets. Mm -hmm. So I would like to know more about you, this art of the storytelling. Does it work? It, it does and it can. Um, they're all tools, right? And so, um, for a lot of places we work, you know, anything that's even, even currently today, anything that's online really doesn't necessarily connect with people who might be in leadership in a particular community we might be working in. Those case studies of these places, they're tools that can be, they don't just sit on that, on that website, right? So there's some communities that can access that information um, that might be in a place that they're ready to use that and, and, and be able to make those connections. Um, kind of going back to what we were saying earlier about this you know, advice I might have to someone who wants to make a career transition, right? About being able to identify those skills and knowledge that they have in what uh, initially see and then translate them to a new environment. S same is true with, with these case studies. You know, for some people, they can see something that's in a case study from, let's say, Nebraska. So neither of us are in Nebraska, right? 
they can see like, okay, I can see, I can see the connections. I can see what's useful about this case study that I might want to use in, in Houston, right? Or I might want to use in a community in North Carolina. But for some of us, they don't see that connection. Like, oh, that's Nebraska. But what does that have to do with me? And that's the end. It doesn't really matter, right? They just, it just doesn't connect. And so then we're talking about storytelling. It's like story translating, right? Um, and so in the work that we might do, when we're talking to someone, we might not say, there's this community in Nebraska and here's this case study, go look at it online. Um, we might talk with them and help them see those assets that are in their community that maybe connect to, to what was in this town in Nebraska. And so really it's a, it becomes a tool for us, right? For my team or for your team, if you're doing similar kind of work. Um, so I, I guess what I mean is these tools can be used in many different types of ways. The story is in order to connect with somebody, you have to be willing to be flexible on how you tell the story, how you connect it to them. Um, because, I mean, as you know, you talk about the sciences, every discipline has, and even sub-discipline has a different vocabulary. And unfortunately, sometimes the, it's, it's actually even worse that they use similar words because the words don't mean the same thing, right? It'd almost be better if you just use completely different vocabularies, right? So there's got to be this translation work. Um, to, in order to connect. And um, one of the things that I did very early on, and I think this is maybe one of the benefits of coming to this work from outside of economic development, is I didn't know any of the words. So I had to learn all the words. And I, I didn't really care that so much about the words, right? I wasn't like, you have to use this word over this word, right? Because as you know, in the science, like, people can have whole arguments about which word to use for something. Um, and so because I didn't have this fidelity to the language and I was willing to be flexible and I was really interested in the outcome and making connections with people that when I'm sitting down with that person who doesn't want to hear about Nebraska, right? I can talk to them about their community in the words in the language that they use, right? I'm, I'm, I'm myself being kind of fueled by this, these case studies that I may be aware of, but I'm speaking in the language that this person understands and, and that's, that's what I'm interested in, right? I'm interested in communicating the, the idea um, and, and inspiring the actual word, my, word I might be using. Is, it's not important. And, and, and sometimes it gets in the way um, and can mean that we're, uh, you know, they don't want to talk, right? They don't want to engage because they associate those words with something that they don't want to have anything to do with. Mark, do you uh, think that this is this um, skill about communication and storytelling is something that is a, a natural gift you have or that you learn with experience or, or did you have to uh, really learn how to do it? It's, it is something that can be learned, perhaps because I've made some pretty big transitions in terms of my career. I think that's helped because it's like, if you don't, you like, you're, you just, you can't do it, right? You can't do the work if you're willing, if you're not willing to learn these new vocabularies. Um, also, you mentioned in the list of various things, I'm a musician, right? So I, I've always played music and language, right? Both, both verbally and talking with other musicians about the music, but then the music itself. And so cultivating those skills, right? And the thing is, if we're talking about people that we interact with who might be thinking about these transitions, it's probably likely that maybe they've been a musician in the past. They may not think of themselves that in a way anymore, but they've at least attempted right, to learn some music or they've played sports of some kind 
or maybe they cook in their home. And so they have been doing other things, right? They have been juggling different aspects of things. Um, and so the, the work can be kind of elevating those and like, okay, these are important. I spent, if you spend time on it, right? And so you might as well gain some other learnings from it. And so if you can, it's like, well, I can function effectively doing my earth science as well as hopefully a little bit raising my children uh, and interacting with, let's say if I'm in a, a community choir or whatever, I can, I can interact with other people in these different spaces. I'm not always talking about, um, you know, the uh, stable isotopes or I don't know, whatever the thing is. Like I know how to use different words, right? And so staying like, okay, well, I'm doing this already in these other spaces. I can do it in this other thing, right? And just being willing, flexible and just like, okay, I've done it before. I can do it again. It, and, and just allowing yourself to, to learn and, and, and let it kind of wash, wash over you in some way. Part of the drive towards that is, I'll, I'll be a, try to be generous here. It's a way for, for more people to find excellence. And so what I mean is the more narrow the question in the field is, um, the more it's possible for an individual person to be best at that, right? And to, to know it, right? Better than any, anyone else. And that itself is not a bad thing, um, but what it does is it makes it very difficult to collaborate. And so one of, one of the things that is quite different, I think, for people who are academic scientists uh, and maybe academics broadly is collaboration. That is something that, is very central to the work that I do now. It is, I mean, it, in some ways it's, it's a skill. Thinking about what the, what the outcome it is that you want. It's like, okay, we want to get to this place, right? Whether it's um, better job opportunities, um, a healthier environment, whatever it is in this place. And there's, there's, there's an infinite number of pathways to get there. Right? But I say, well, given, given what we have control over, what's going to be the simplest pathway there. And oftentimes for us, it means, well, we gotta, we're gonna have to collaborate with a whole bunch of people, right? And if we get credit or not, that's not really, we're interested in that end goal, right? And if there's someone else already that's made already halfway there, it was like, well, what can we do to support them to get all the way there, right? Um, and so that kind of thinking again is something that I think can be learned um, but is not, that's quite different than the sort of typical training. I think generally, like I say, a PhD program where you're really trying to specialize, you're trying to understand something that no one else understands and, you know, get your papers out, be, you know, in some ways, be a little combative in, in, in some ways about your ideas in that space. And again, for certain things that, that can, that's also, those are also useful skills, um, but to the exclusion of others, they mean that some of these transitions that you might want to make are going to be very difficult. So you mentioned you work in industry, right, which is a very collaborative environment. I mean, you can't be out on your own doing your own thing. And so I think for a lot of people who go into industry, that can also be a difficult transition um, if they're very steeped in academia because they have to, to learn sort of the benefits of working and, and how to build those lateral relationships um, and really think about the end goal that everyone is trying to, to get to. You said you are you are trying to be very generous, and actually you were very generous because <laughs> you said, uh, in other words, do not be too specialist. 
to not be too specialist unless you want to become like that maximum expert of that discipline because otherwise it's going to be difficult to to collaborate i mean it's more difficult to, yeah. to collaborate yeah yeah so and actually talking about these collaborations you put together in create um you put together a network of scholars from across the country to analyze the what i would call the predisposing factors and the triggers of shared economic prosperity and i was wondering how could you pull together such a broad and skill and diverse group of people i would like to ask you well, what is this uh, art of of bringing together people that you have in create my my approach comes out of really how i started this work which was you know, I have this earth science background. I'm starting to work in economic development. Um, I don't have any expectation that anyone wants to work with me see, would even see the benefit. And so from the beginning, I was very much interested in what are the things that this person, let's say you, right? What are the things that you do that you're already doing that can contribute to the kinds of outcomes and goals that I have? So let me capture that. Let me approach you around that piece. I'm not going to try to get you to immediately do things that are different from what you might be doing. I'm really going to focus on what are the things you're already doing. And so that kind of philosophy and approach um, is still with, with us and with our team and is part of the reason why we've been successful at collaborating with lots of different types of people and organizations. What the collaboration looks like can be very different. With some, it might be one of our research faculty and, and another faculty member like working on a long-term research project together. But it could also mean someone speaking at a conference that we might be hosting. Um, or we, uh, before COVID and the quarantine, we had lots of events that were in communities that we were working in. And so some of that collaboration might be uh, having someone who's uh, at a university in a different geography, right? That's in a place that we might be working, having them come and participate in an event that we might be hosting in just in their backyard, right? Because it, it may be a great opportunity for their students. And so there's just really, again, thinking about what are all the different ways that people can be supportive and helpful to us and, and trying to match those. So, you know, if there's, there's not like there's this perfect person that's out there and I was like, this person has to, we have to collaborate with. That's not really our approach. The approach is, here are all the things that we need help with. Let's find people who may be already doing pieces of those and see if we can bring them into to working with us, again, around those things they care about. Um, and, you know, potentially later on, like yourself, uh, they want to come work with us. Um, but that's, that's not a requirement necessary, any of that, um, because, uh, yeah, we just got a lot of work to do. So that, that takes a lot, you know. <laughs> Telling people to change their, you know, completely do a complete job right away, it takes a lot of time. And we, we don't have time <laughs> to, do, to do that. Mark, you support yeah. also informed political dialogue by hosting events that, that bring together policymakers, uh, practitioners, invest, investors, entrepreneurs, um, and academics. Can, can you talk about how different? are, according to your knowledge, the, these points of view 
the goals and the mindsets of these different actors? Broadly speaking, much of what different people from different places, backgrounds, disciplines uh, want as end goals is the same. Much of it is, at least based on what people say or seem to say, right? The end goals, broad brush, <laughs> are, are very similar. It's the process to get there that can be extraordinarily different, sometimes completely incompatible with each other, um, as well as um, what the risk is to them as an individual or to their profession broadly. Um, and we kind of see this playing out in, in sort of the political space, right? In terms of, um, we don't need to go into too much detail on this topic, but let's say like gun control, right? I, I think most people would like for fewer people to die from, from guns, or, right? I think that's <laughs> as an end goal. I think most people would want that. But the process to get there, like that's, okay, there's no longer, people are no longer on the same page. And the pages are on sometimes are completely are, are diametrically opposed to each other. You know, similar to this idea about when we're working with academics across different disciplines and bringing people together, all those different groups that you mentioned, there are things and that they're doing. There are individuals within those different communities that where there's alignment, right? With not just with the end goal, but with the type of process that we might be interested in. So to give you an example, uh, one of those groups you mentioned was like investors. There are a significant number of investors, sort of private equity, venture capital type folks who are very interested in seeing economic development in distressed places in, in, rural, in rural America. Right. Now, in the, in the most of the work they currently are doing, they may not be investing in businesses in those places, but they're, they, you know, sometimes they're, they're maybe from one of those places and they have this interest. And so one of the ways that I might engage them is, is well, what, are, what can we do to help you identify ways that you can actually begin to invest your wealth in places that actually need it? And can we start to, to bring, to, to just, you know, the surface area, right? Just bring your knowledge, bring you closer to understanding what some of those opportunities might be. And that's the, the kinds of things that we can do. Because you know they're they're interested in investing. I was like, okay, cool. That's what you want to invest in stuff. Let's see if we can find you some things to invest in in places that are underinvested in, that pay really good wages. Maybe a business that's owned by uh, a Native American person or a woman. You know, so are there are there some of these aspects that we can find that common ground for really any of these different types of groups of people that we might be might be working with. Clear and very nice example. Thank you, Mark. I'm gonna ask you two questions that I presented at the very beginning. And uh, the first one is how exciting is to live and to work in this intersection of academics, policy and business? It's a mixed bag, really. I mean, like with any job. Um, the work that is the most exciting is working in the communities that we work in work. I mean, there are so many amazing, phenomenal, amazing people all over the place that are doing amazing things. And it's really a privilege for us to 
you know, try to bring some of the resources their way that they should have been, they should have had access to anyway, right? Um, and so that, that is really, that's wonderful. Uh, we, we hire students from a lot of different, practice from about 20 different universities. And it's also really nice to, to not only work with the great students here at UNC, but also work with really amazing students at other universities that, you know, may not be as highly ranked, but just these like amazing students with amazing stories that are passionate and just amazing, right? And so that, that is really, can be really great. I have grown to be okay with raising money. <laughs> um, a lot of my time is, is uh, spent, you know, raising grant dollars and, and sponsorships and things like that. So sometimes that's, that's okay. And sometimes it's, it's not, really, not really pleasant. But broad, you know, overall, the work is, is really exciting, like I said, because of the people that we get to work with um, and hopefully have a, a positive Im impact on their life. Well, what is the most uh, difficult thing? Is like the um, bringing in the, the funding, is that the most difficult thing? Or there's something else that disturbs you more? Yeah, no, this, it, that's not, it's not that it's, I mean, it is, it is challenging. It, it's just not, you know, what I would necessarily choose to spend my Saturday afternoon doing, <laughs> right? Um, I think some of the more challenging things come into play. You know, I mentioned that, uh, I can just give this kind of gun control example, right? Um, that oftentimes when you take a step deeper besides like what that end goal is, that there are groups that are just diametrically opposed. So that, that, that exists and that's real. Um, and it's pervasive in many of the places that we work in, right? Everyone can kind of agree on the long-term goal, but the ideas on how to get there aren't compatible. And we can play some role perhaps in helping other people see what could, what, what are different pathways to those outcomes. Um, but oftentimes we can really, we can see, we're like, we see those, those issues, right? Clearly from this third party perspective. And sometimes it can be depressing, right? Because you're, you see that all the elements are there, right? They have all the assets, physical, human resources, even financing currently, you know, all those things there, but it's, the relationships and the difficulty of those relationships in that place that prevent it from realizing that potential. And we run into that and that can be, that can be difficult because, um, because like you, you used to know it, you see it, but you, you can't necessarily fix it. Right. Mark, what, what are you proud of? I think the, the spaces that we've created, like the physical spaces where we bring together different people for these events or various things that we do, those can be, those, some of those are quite unique and special. And I like that about our work, right? There were, it's almost, it, you know, and when we're planning these events, like we, we spend a lot of time, like, okay, we need this kind of person or this person in the room, what order should they be speaking in and who should go first, you know? And it's a, it's a, it's orchestrated. Uh, and it can be really beautiful when it comes together because, It has an aesthetic element to it. Um, we're very intentional about the place that we have it in, in terms of it may have a historical importance. Uh, we're very deliberate about 
the mix of people who are speaking and how different people may be elevated in importance who aren't normally elevated, right, in that particular place because of these elements of history. Uh, we always have really good food uh, that has some, oftentimes some historical connection or story to tell itself. Um, and it really said, we, those, those events can be really special. Uh, and it's something that we're, I'm particularly interested that we try to get back to once people are fully vaccinated and we can have gatherings in person. Mark, what is next? Um, I got to pick up my kids. Um, okay, from, from very good. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's, what, that's, what's, uh, that's what's next. So what, no, but to, to really answer your question, we're uh, hopefully about to start a, a, an additional initiative. This initiative that we're about to, to launch is working with the buyers. So just working with um, anchor institutions. So hospitals, uh, universities, um, potentially, you know, state governments, or local governments. So these institutions that purchase lots of things, goods, serve, manufacture things, uh, agricultural products, um, et cetera. And working with them to use that procurement power to drive the kinds of systemic change that we're talking about, right? So creating shared economic prosperity. Um, this past year has, for many people, for a larger number of people, illuminated uh, the, some of the problems with the, not just the, the U.S. economy, with the global economy and how it benefits and uh, harms different people um, based on lots of different things, whether it's historical, geographic, racial, et cetera. And so what we think it, now is that there is momentum for some of these anchor institutions to think beyond just their, their, their number one goal. So to give you an example, like a university. So a typical university is interested in teaching students, doing some research, uh, and having some kind of maybe community engagement. And, 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 I, and I, should, I should probably put sports in there too, <laughs> because some of the yeah, universities, that's probably their number one or number two goal. Um, but procurement is, is lower down on that list. Um, but all of the millions, tens of millions, some, for some universities, hundreds of millions of dollars that are spent annually, that's actually an opportunity for that institution to have an impact on communities that have been imp uh, disproportionately impacted by COVID-19, uh, to have an impact on minority-owned businesses, to have an impact on businesses that are in rural places that may not be well-connected. And so this initiative, as I mentioned, that we're, we're hopefully will be launching soon, is to work with anchor institutions that have that desire, that interest in having this broader economic impact and helping them transition some portion right, of their procurement to have as direct impact on people and places to create more, as I said, this goal that we have of creating shared economic prosperity uh, and additionally creating a network of people in other institutions across the U.S. Um, who have similar goals and share information, et cetera. So that's, the, that's what we've been working on for the past, um, actually really the past year, but hopefully we'll launch it officially fairly soon. Uh, I would talk with you, 
more and forever, but we are at the top of the hour. So I would like to leave you a couple of minutes uh, with an open mic, just in case you want to say something else, something that you, you couldn't say or something that I didn't ask you. And if you want to address the audience, the mic is open and uh, it's yours. I, I can say if anybody happens to have made it this far in the video, I'm, I'm impressed and feel free to email me or give me a call if, you're, if you want to catch up uh, about any of this stuff or, or, or whatever. Uh, I'm pretty easy to find um, at UNC. My name is Mark Little. So yeah, feel free to, to contact me, reach out. Thank you very much, uh, Mark. Uh, we were in conversation with uh, Mark uh, Little. Uh, Little is the executive director of CREATE, an initiative that builds shared prosperity through applied interventions, research and uh, policy. And obviously Mark uh, uh, is part of the great family of uh, geologists and geophysicists. So we welcome him uh, uh, very warmly here in the mini geology show where we put in connection uh, geology with the society at large. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. That is all for today. Thanks for listening to the Mini Geology Radio Show, your weekly radio show about geology here in Houston. This is Daniel Minizini, your inquisitive geologist. Write me at minigeology at gmail.com, tweet at minigeology, and send your ideas. Let me know who interview next, which kind of topics you would like to develop together in the Houston Community Station here at KPFT and see you next week on Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Bye!